This call is being recorded. You having trouble um, dialing in, Jenna?
Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, I'm trying to figure out what's going on right now. I'm having a little issues. I figured that. Greetings, everyone. Sorry I'm late. Uh, you go ahead, Ross. Um, but did you want to introduce everything or what? Like, I, I don't know what you, what you wanted to move forward with first. Okay. Well, uh, sure you've already reached the show. I got my, uh, everything is jacked up right now. Oh, okay. Okay. I figured you would have went head on with those articles. Oh, let's get okay. Let's get it. Let's get it started then. Um, before Go we get ahead. started, no problem. Before we get started, um, for those who are who actually uh listen to the different programs on Black Talk Radio Network and get something constructive out of them, uh, please facilitate helping the network maintain and grow. Um, by providing help via your financial uh energy. Um, if you can, please donate at blacktalk, www.blacktalkradionetwork.com. There's um, an icon there that will take you over to uh, PayPal, I believe. And then also, if you don't use PayPal, there's like a P.O. box address if you wish to uh, mail in uh, a payment that way uh, via check or money order or whatever. And then also, if you didn't wish to do that, Another way you can help contribute to the network is to become a member of BTR Community. That is a closed online social networking space that Scotty has created for the listeners at Black Talk Radio Network um, and just black people in general. Um, It's a space for us to be able to discuss issues that pertain to us um, in a closed space, so you're not going to find advertising from corporations or anything like that. None of your information will be sold to any corporations to give you spam or to use your information for any reason whatsoever. And um, also, you wouldn't have to worry about your employer um, being able to pull up anything that you're discussing online or anything like that in regards to what's being discussed on uh, BTR community. Um, That's not the same thing we can say for Facebook or any of these other uh, alphabet boy-laced social media spaces. Um, Matter of fact, I just read something where they were saying that the government's going to uh, if you're going to get a gun, they're trying to decide on this legislation. But if they do, basically, before you're able to get a gun, they're going to have to go through years of your um, surfing history, internet surfing history, as well as uh, years of your social media activity before they'll make a final decision on whether or not you'll be able to get a, a weapon as far as a gun is concerned. So if that legislation goes through, there's <laughs> going to be a lot of major shifts uh, to people and barriers to people getting guns. Um, and I think a lot of those people will be white just simply because um, of the fact that they're the ones who have all this psychotic rhetoric that they're typing and getting away with on the Internet. But we'll see because the system is racist, so we know how that goes. But, again, um, the BTR community is a safe social media space, and it's uh, $24 a year for a year, year subscription. And um, there you'll be able to actually communicate with uh, actually Scotty's on there as well as a lot of the different radio show hosts are on there as well, and just a bunch of um, – just intelligent black people that are trying to um, come up with ideas for solutions to problems that black people are facing um, and just uh, pertinent information that uh, we believe uh, would be helpful to black people in regards to knowing about or paying attention to 
um, certain things that we need to be aware of that can affect us. So that's pretty much what it is. And if you can, please uh, join VTR community. And uh, that, again, would be $24 for a year subscription. Um, so now we're going to jump into today's show. First, I'm going to go through some articles that I had here. Let me get started on that right now. And the first one is from wakeupworld.com. And this one is entitled Nine Herbs for Mental Health. Um, so this this basically is dealing with herbs that will help you and, and, and facilitate positive mental health. Um, I know a lot of these herbs you can also get in the form of essential oils that also serve a similar purpose as well. But um, the herb that they have here uh, is malungu bark. One is malungu bark, that's M-U-L-U-N-G-U. Um, and that is something that comes from Central and South America, um, from the forests of that region. And um, another one is called Bacopa, uh, B-A-C-O-P-A. That's an Ayurvedic medicine, also known as Brahmi, B-R-A-H-M-I. The next one is called Macuna Purines, and that's M-U-C-U-N-A-P-R-U-R-I-E-N-S. And the next one is called Rhodiola Rosea. And that is a, a medicinal herb as well. Um, I know that some of the mixtures that they have at a site called primalherb.com, I know that they have that herb. It stands out to me um, as one of the herbs that they use in their different um, uh, traditional medicine teas that they make. And I've been using them for years, and it's really good stuff. The next one is called, uh, known as sour date, but also known as Zisiphus jujuba which is Z-I-Z-Y-P-H-U-S. Uh, the other word is J-U-J-U-B-A. The next one is passion flower. The next one is skullcap. The next one is kava, or also known as kava kava, and that is also comes in the form of a tea. Um, saffron is number nine as well. And it's just an overall good article that gives great information on different um, herbs and things that you can do to preserve your mental health using these herbs and different ways that can be used to actually do so. That you can find in, in all of the articles you can find in the thread at, on the uh, Real Life the Radio group and the thread that we created for tonight's show. You'll find them all there. So that's the first one. The next one, <clears throat> excuse me. Oh, there were two articles that I posted in the, the health section that I created on BTR community, and they were both pertaining to vitamin D deficiency. And they, they were both short, but I didn't want to play them tonight because they're going to deal with some other stuff. Um, so I just wanted to just bring it to your attention. Basically, they had a, a black doctor who was discussing the fact that the that basically all black people who live in, the Amer in America, North America specifically, are severely vitamin D deficient and that you need a minimum of 5,000 IUs or international units per day um, in order to maintain a healthy level of vitamin D due to the fact that we don't get as much sun in, in the temperate regions here. If you're not like in Florida or on the very, very lowest states on the totem pole where you get a lot of sun, um, then basically you're vitamin D deficient. And he was discussing it from a scientific standpoint. He discussed his own numbers, which were horrific. Um, and I believe he lived in the Northeast as well. So basically, um, vitamin D uh, facilitates nervous system health, immune system health, uh, which of course will nervous system health will include the brain, um, and your of course your immunity. Also, it uh, protects you from cancers. 
especially for black black people, we deal with the overwhelming amount of prostate cancer, colon cancer, breast cancer, and vitamin D3 actually helps the body naturally fend off those illnesses or prevents them altogether. And because we're deficient in them, black people tend to get the most aggressive forms of the diseases we catch because a lot of us are not being told by our doctors that we're vitamin D deficient. So um, I just wanted to put that out there. And there's two really great uh, videos that I put in there, really short, about five minutes or less, where they uh, tackle the subject and just give you a lot of great information. Um, and specifically, the brother really gets into the fact that you need at least a minimum of 5,000 IUs um, per day. What you get in a multivitamin would not be enough, and you'll still be deficient with that. So just wanted to put that out there. The next thing, next one I wanted to go to was uh, Business Insider. This one is, um, scientists may have found a way to treat cancer without chemotherapy by replicating our body's own self-destruct system. And it's uh, just a blurb. It says, every day, millions of our cells kill themselves and are quickly removed from our system, helping to protect us from potentially harmful cells. Cancer cells, on the other hand, can protect themselves from self-destruction by ignoring our immune system cell death signals. So basically, it's talking about the natural um, cell death process that happens in the human body and the fact that basically cancer cells are immortal until they kill the organism. They're, they don't have a death program. So basically, they're saying they've found, they might have found a way to actually trigger the self-destruct signal in the cancer cells to kill those cells rather than actually having to perform chemotherapy. So it's a good article. Um, I think they're in the early stages of this, but it's just something to remain aware of. And I just wanted to make sure that I put that out there. The next one is from CannabisWorld.com. Um, cannabis could reverse aging process after THC found to improve memory and learning in older mice. So these were mice that they um, genetically induced uh, Alzheimer's and dementia in, and then they treated them with cannabis and found that not only did it reverse the, the symptoms, but it also uh, basically facilitated a more youthful brain. So it gave them more a longer life just based on the fact that the, their brain cells um they were able to stop the illness itself and actually reverse the aging process i remember i read an article probably in the summertime dealing with the fact that they said that um amyloid beta plaque which is the um the plaque in the brain that facilitates alzheimer's and dementia and that's what actually spreads the disease from brain cell to brain cell killing the cells all along the way and basically clogging the brain with these dead cells and that's how it the, the illness spreads, uh, that marijuana actually clears those amyloid beta plaques out of the brain. So there's a lot of different things coming out with cannabis CBD, um, which is a variant of cannabis itself that's uh, non-psychoactive, and how it's helping uh, deal with the illness known as Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, another one is from Natural Blaze, more evidence that soy formula leads to health problems as an adult. So it says, uh, just in the blur, new research suggests that infant girls fed soy formula are more likely to develop severe menstrual pain as young adults. The findings add to the growing body of literature that suggests exposure to soy formula during early life may have detrimental effects on the reproductive system. So this is going into the soy formula that most parents are told to give to their children if they either can't breastfeed um, for medical reasons or... um, if they choose not to breastfeed for whatever personal reason they choose, that breastfeeding is not the option they wish to take. Um, soy milk is what's usually given to children, and also soy alters the male reproductive system by adding too much estrogen. It's a natural estrogen 
uh, producing plants. So it goes into that. So you don't want to give your children that. You have to find healthy alternatives. Um, right now, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I just wanted to put that information out there. I think I'll probably get into that down the road um, on a different program. So the next one is also from uh, wakeupworld.com. Alkaline water or hydrogen water, which one is better for you? And um, basically, it's going into a comparison between alkaline water and hydrogen water. I had never actually heard of hydrogen water before, but um, when they did the scientific testing on both types of water, they seem to have found that hydrogen water is the better of the two, and it kind of goes into that from a scientific standpoint, the benefits. Um, and weirdly enough, a lot of what is said about alkaline water is actually even more true about hydrogen water and less true about alkaline water from what they were saying as far as the scientific test that they did. So it's a really interesting article. Um, so it's one that um, I think folks should check out. Another one is from Wake Up World. Magic mushrooms may hold the key to long-term relief from anxiety and depression. So they're going into the power of mushrooms and how, uh, it's still not magic mushrooms, but there's other mushrooms as well, <clears throat> excuse me, that you can take to facilitate uh brain health and health in as far health in, in regards to dealing with depression and they even have them listed in the, the image as uh shiitake, reishi, turkey tail, and hima excuse me, hima matsaki. Matsutaki, that's what it is. Hima matsutaki, that's it. So um that's these are some of the um different herbs that um not herbs, uh mushrooms that are known to help with uh, mental health. And I know that a few of those herbs, they actually also have in their tea, uh, their tea blends at primalherb.com. And it's a really high quality spot with like organic herbs and mushrooms and things like that. Um, chaga mushrooms. Uh, they have one called Nuo shrooms, which helps, which helps with uh, the nervous system and brain health. And it includes uh, reishi. Um, I, I know I've seen turkey tail there as well and shiitake. So there's quite a few. So I would say um, check out that article too, especially if you've been dealing with depression and you're trying to find um, a natural route to dealing with it rather than uh, taking strong psychotropic drugs that can trigger horrible negative effects. The next one um, is from Wake Up World and it's entitled The Unmistakable Link Between Unhealed Trauma and Physical Illness. I would suggest everyone get into that because a lot of folks don't really recognize the fact that some of your physical illnesses might actually be stemming from an undealt with trauma, something that may have happened to you that you're trying to suppress or trying to compartmentalize, but it's such a traumatic event that instead of compartmentalizing it, it actually manifests as a physical problem, whether it's an ache or pain or even a disease of some sort. Um, so they're going to the, the medical um, findings in regards to the connections between trauma and physical illness, unresolved trauma and physical illness. And the last one is from Wake Up World as well, and it's entitled Seven Ways in Which Marijuana Can Protect the Brain. And I, um, so it basically goes into the medical findings with that. I know that it definitely helps with traumatic brain injury and a bunch of other stuff too. But um, let me see. So it says cannabis, I'm just going to read the, the titles, I'm not going into the articles. Cannabis protects the brain by reducing inflammation. Cannabis is a powerful antioxidant protecting against toxic buildup in the brain that's dealing with the amyloid beta plaque and other stuff that I was talking about before, that it um, actually sweeps that out of the brain instead of allowing it to accumulate in, in the brain and can facilitate spreading the disease to other brain cells. Number three, cannabis helps promote new brain cell growth. 
And a lot of people have been told that the brain does not, I remember hearing that, that the brain does not actually grow new cells. So <laughs> cannabis helps promote new brain cell growth. Uh, four, cannabis may slow progression of some neurodegenerative diseases. Five, cannabis can make Alzheimer's patients less agitated. Six, cannabis may protect the brain from serious brain trauma. That's what I was talking about, um, traumatic TBI, traumatic brain injury. They talk about that. Um, seven, cannabis could limit brain damage resulting from strokes. Absolutely. Um, and it works similar to uh, traumatic brain injury as well, as what they're discussing in the article. So that's pretty much what those articles are. Oh, I think that's the last one. Uh, Jenna, you said you had a couple you wanted to go into as well, correct? Right now, I'm trying to get trying to get the show up and running. We're having difficulties. Okay. Difficult time right now, so I'm I'm trying to get this on. So. Okay. See if you can uh, if it'll play it on your uh screen on your computer real quick and see if we can hear it because I gotta figure this out. Okay. Let me see if I can. But hey, why why I'm trying to figure this out? Let me do this. Okay. It was just just one of the links that I wanted people to check out. Uh, News1.com. Black people don't get to be quote unquote good guys with guns. You know, just because we do uh, have these rights and stuff, we have to be smart, make the best decision. At all times, uh, Igmatic Fix, Fitzgerald Bradford Jr. Uh, they was calling him EJ. They was in the service, and these uh, this the little young the little young dude that got uh, shot by the police. Let me get this together. Everything jacked up on me. But it's from News One. Uh, He's talking about the the other the other black male that was shot to death. Um, yeah, the active dude is. Uh, I'm just gonna read this little blurb. Yeah, I just saw that. Go ahead. An active duty serviceman was gunned down by police while trying to save lives, endangered by a gunman at the Alabama Mall on Thanksgiving night. Robinson was gunned down by police while apprehending a man who fired a shot into Chicago's nightclub. He was wearing a uniform with the word security on his chest. And it just keep happening. I think we had, uh, we briefly mentioned it, uh, week, not week before last, but me and you discussed it. And it's just another one, another brother, EJ, that they keep murdering us so we yeah. always got to stay focused on that uh, one of these other ones was uh the noose they found the noose down in uh mississippi later on uh all of the uh cable networks picked it up down uh and it, and then they popped up with some uh with some notes and a couple of more nooses, I mean posters, excuse me. And they were saying, 
Mississippi hadn't changed, and this was they shut. This was they protest. So we going I'm gonna keep an eye on that to see who get apprehended for that, if anybody. But they just got nooses. Uh, they just posted them up at the uh, state building. And I was in Mississippi, right? Yes. And did you hear about the young black male um, that was shot? He was unarmed and he was shot. And they had the police body cam footage and it did not coincide with what the officer said because he did comply and was shot anyway. He was shot like three or four times. He's, um, I think he might be partially paralyzed, if I remember correctly, like a, one of the advice show clips um, from earlier today. And, um, and they didn't show the, the actual, you know, footage of what happened. They just had like an image of him laying prone on the ground. And um, they said he was shot from, by two different officers. And the body cam footage just basically seems to be quite damning in regards to what actually happened. So I forget the young man's name. Um, like he has. Go ahead. My fault. Could you hear that? I'm sorry. Yeah, I can hear that. All right. Well, we just have to play it like this then. Is it clear? You got to play it for me to hear? No, what you just heard, was oh, it clear? Yeah, I think it was clear. Can you get it to be a little louder? It was clear, though. Man, I hate to do this. Let me see, though. Imagine you... Sample your bread. They said it was the best bread in the world. Is that horrible? It's coming through. This actually sounds worse than when you first did it. Yeah, we gonna have to. I'm still trying to figure this out. So, uh, if you could give a a brief uh, description of the Yorubu. While I try to figure this out, that'll be great to uh Yeah, Don, I wish get I had the night started. Yeah. Because I'm I'm having issues. Okay. Give me one second. I'm trying to pull it up, give me a second. Sorry, listeners, it's it's here we go. Yes, really sure what's going on right now. Dig something up real quick. Okay. Yeah, this is a 
Okay. I can't find what I'm trying to dig up here. Let me see. Let me go a little bit further into it. No, so we're going to get into it anyway. Um, I wish I had her book because I could actually read it read an excerpt of it from the book itself. I don't remember where I have it, so I'm going to just try and weigh it off the top of my head. Um, hopefully, we'll get things working. If not, then we'll just move from there. But basically, Rugu is a story told by the Dogon people, and in the story, they're talking about the creation. Uh, Ama is the one deity in the Dogon tradition, and when he creates primordial beings, he creates them in, in sets of two, twins. And he creates a number of sets of primordial twins. And then I believe it's maybe four, if I remember correctly. And then when he gets to uh, Urugu, Urugu doesn't gestate the full term in the womb. He actually busts out of the womb prematurely and not only does he bust out of the womb prematurely, but he also never gets his spiritual twin. So basically without the spiritual twin, he's considered an incomplete being because in African culture across the continent, it's always men and women, and then they create children. So if you have no female counterpart, then you're going to have a problem procreating. So basically he was um, considered pretty much a, a destructive force. And he was in a perpetual quest to try and become a whole being, being that he was, he did not fully develop. So in his underdeveloped state, um, he was incomplete. And then on top of that, he didn't have his spiritual counterpart, the, 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 the female twin that he would have had as his counterpart was also missing. So by those two things, um, symbolically, he was basically left to wander the earth in a perpetual state of um, trying to find things to satisfy the fact that they felt that he felt incomplete. Um, and that's like the short version of the story. Um, she actually gives way more detail in, in the text in regards to um, the Dogon cosmology surrounding Urugu itself in the actual story. That's why I wish I had the the book here. At least if I could have found it somewhere on line, I would have. Yeah, I apologize about that. I'm still working on it, but oh, no uh, just for you to be able to just push that out by memory, it was it's pretty good. It's it's in the thread though, in the real life uh, radio yeah, show thread, so you could listen to that. Cause this, it'll have you searching. It'll put you on a uh, put a new path on you. Just to oh, try yeah. to understand. 
And you could actually find, um, I know on the cows, they read that book, uh, Urugu, as well. And um, you can find it in the cows' archives. And the um, roundtable discussion surrounding the text itself was incredible because it's not an easy read. Um, the story itself is easily digestible as far as getting into the story of Urugu itself. But she actually goes into what I would consider the best uh, critique of European uh, thought and social behavior ever put down in a text form. Um, and she uses the story of Urugu as the base to facilitate her critique of uh, European thought and social behavior um, and cultural behavior as well. Um, and when you compare it to what she actually <laughs> dissects, to the contemporary and, and ancient history, it's no joke. Go ahead. What you said? Uh, it's we have a uh, we have a caller, but it's just a whole lot of background going on in the callers. Uh, okay, I wasn't looking at the end. Yeah, I can't see anything. But how are you doing, caller? Peace. 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 It's uh, Cujo out of New York, man. Um, you know. Um, good to hear you guys, man. I was uh, off last week. Um, had we were too, so we missed you, but it's good to hear you tonight. Peace and love, uh, Brother Kujo. Yes, yes, greetings. Greetings. Um, part of, part of the noise, I was just um, listening, and I actually, I have the book here. I have the book. I just haven't read it yet. Uh, oh, wow. Because <laughs> he okay. tells the story of you, uh, I think, uh, in the uh, beginning. Yes. Can you What's do up? us that favor while I'm trying to get everything? I'm still working on the stuff on my uh, on the technical end. Can you uh, read that passage for us, if you mind? In the beginning um, of the book, she actually tells the story. There's an actual allegorical tale of Urugu that she tells in the beginning of the text. I just don't remember exactly where where in the beginning it is, but it is in the beginning where she lays that um that foundational story there and then develops um, the different psychological concepts surrounding their culture and, and behavior and how it manifests um, off of that base. Oh. So, it should be yeah, right in the beginning. In a, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Jen is accurate. You guys are definitely on point. It is the author's note. Perfect. Can you read the um, the story of Yoruba for me, Thank please? You, I greatly appreciate you, for sure. Thank you. Yes, sir. Um, start off with the beginning, offers note. According to the Dogon people of Mali in West Africa, Ama, the creator, ordained that all created beings should be living manifestations of fundamental universal principle of complementarity or twinness. This principle manifests itself as the wholeness which is created when female and male pairs join in all things. Such pairing establishes equilibrium, cooperation, balance, harmony. Ama, therefore, equipped each being with twin souls, both female and male, at birth. But in one of these primordial placentas, the male soul did not wait for the full gestation period to be born. This male being was known as Yrugo, Ogo, who arrogantly wished to compete 
with Amah and to create a world better than that which Amah had created. With his fragmented placenta, he created earth, but it could only be imperfect since he was incomplete, that is, born prematurely without his female twin soul, realizing that he was flawed and therefore deficient. Irugu returned to Ama, seeking his complementary female self, but Ama had given his female soul away. Irugu, forever incomplete, was doomed to perpetually search for the completeness that could never be his. The earth he had defiled in the act of self-creation was now inhabited by single-souled, impure, and incomplete beings like himself. Urugu's descendants, all eternally deficient, originated in an, uh, I don't know this word, incestuous act. Incestuous, yeah. Since he had procreated with his own placenta, the the representation of his mother. And that's it. That's it. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you so much, sir. I greatly appreciate that. Um, Yeah, that story. So the story is basically speaking of um, the creation of primordial beings, and it kind of it basically ties into very, very, very much so into the stories of the primordial beings of Kemet, and um, of course the Dogon stated they migrated to where they are in West Africa from that region. Um, The interesting part when they were talking about the creation of twin souls, um, both male and female, that's exactly the the way that the universe was ordered in nature. That's the way that the people of Kemet and Ethiopia, um, that whole region, did the same and the Dogon do so, and they got to this one being. Um, And on the cover of the book is a picture of this really gnarled, (laughs) white-looking demonic creature. Um, It's a white male. that represents Yurugu, and she talked about him bursting through the um the, the placenta before being born, which is exactly what was said of Set in Kemet that he uh actually burst through his mother's womb without being born the natural way, um, and of course you know in uh, the movie Aliens they do the same thing the creatures burst through your chest um that your chest region um and that's how they're born so. Um, the interesting part is she talked about them being deficient in the Dogon tale and the fact that they were always hunting for their female self, the, the, the aspect of themselves that is female. So when you look at it, it all of it, that incompleteness, the deficiency, will tie into their genetic deficiency. Um, the genetic deficiency has to do with the fact that they lack melanin, and lacking melanin is not natural. So they've created this artificial world on Earth. So that's why, you know, the allegorical tale is speaking of Earth. So on Earth, they've created this artificial reality that they think is better than Ama or the creator. Um, in Kemet, it would, it would be Amun. It's better than the world that the creator made. So when you look at this, this system of white supremacy, this matrix that we live in, it's a created reality that dictates the lives of all of the people who have been victimized by it. Um, and then on top of this creative reality that they think is better than the world that the creator created his herself, um, he's in a perpetual uh, state of discomfort trying to find wholeness because of his deficiency and also because of the loss of his, the female 
or the feminine aspect of their soul, which to me ties into a lot of the deviance you find in their culture. Um, when you really look at that, the other video um, that that we were going to get into gets into some uh, pressed information. I'm hoping that we're able to get, get stuff on point to work because it, it, I really want you to hear it from the mouth of the um, grand elder who's now a grand sister, um, Dr. Edward Robinson, Jr. Uh, he's a, a an educator and a lawyer amongst a bunch of other stuff uh, from Philadelphia. Um, and we've, we've heard him speak before on, I used a clip of his previously, and he got into some suppressed information that was suppressed in the 90s regarding a uh, an experiment that was being done by geneticists around the world um, where they were find, basically looking for the intelligence of species, what genes played the role in intelligence and what animals were, were the most intelligent from a genetic standpoint. And part of the, uh, the study dealt with primates. And if I remember correctly, it was the the mountain gorilla that had the highest uh, number of genetic series out of all of the different eight types. Um, and basically in the study, what the geneticists found was the more, the more, the higher number of genetic series that a living thing had, the more intelligent that the living thing was. And when they ended up testing people and they did it in a really, <laughs> clandestine way, but they tested people from every continent. They tested people from America, but in America, they only tested white people because that's who they considered Americans in the study. They also tested people from Europe. They tested people from the Far East. They tested people from the African continent. And this is what they found. What they found was that white people only had six genetic series. Asian people only had six genetic series. All the other groups that were non-African had only six genetic series. When they tested Africans from across the continent, they found that we had nine. And including the regions where the ancestors of American Africans were taken from. That's why they didn't test American Africans because they knew that genetically they were connected to that region. So the same results that they got from West Africa, they would get from black people here. Um, and he says this in the video. I wish you could hear it because he just lays out so much profound information directly from the study. And um, basically what they thought was when they were doing the testing that white people were going to turn out to be the apex of intelligence and have the highest number of genetic series. What they found was the complete opposite was true, and it was that only people of African descent had it. And what he discussed further was the fact that Africa was the womb of human development, and the groups that left Africa hundreds of thousands of years ago to people the rest of the planet were not fully developed. So all of their descendants turned out to have the same six series. But those Africans who never left the continent or who stayed for the longest period were able to develop into this, the ultimate expression of genetic 
material for the human being in the form of these non-genetic series. So when you look at the accomplishments of African people from ancient times, that directly correlates with the intelligence quotient based on these series. And when you look at the lack of development in, the, in Europe and the fact that for them to have developed, they needed contact with Africans, i.e. the Moors, um, especially after they, they, their society collapsed and they lost two-thirds of their population to the Black Death, known as the plague, known as the Black Death, um, then that also ties into the fact that Europeans aren't really <laughs> as smart on a genetic level as they say they are. And, and Dr. Wilson used to say this all the time, you know, people, people who have to go through so much to convince you that you are worth nothing must have a serious sense of self-inadequacy. Because if you go through all of this stuff to create this system to convince another group of people that you've dominated through warfare and enslavement that they are less than, then that means that yourself, you walk, you're probably walking on your self-esteem every day because your self-esteem is basically built on the fact that I am suppressed and I'm not allowed to express myself to my fullest genetic potential, which is something Dr. Wilson talks about all the time. And basically, Dr. Robinson was saying that as soon as they found these results, they immediately suppressed them. That's why nobody ever heard of them. He was actually given a direct copy of the study from one of the geneticists in the study. And it was one of those same geneticists that was in the study, and he shows you their names, he shows you the titles um, and, and everything. And basically, that geneticist explained it to him. So it's not something he just made up and he's just talking about. This is firsthand information from these people. And basically, what he was saying was basically what I was saying. And I've been saying this for years <laughs> and I, because I, I knew, knew about this stuff, just not on this genetic level like this, but I had other evidence that said the same thing. I was basically always saying that the only true humans are Africans. And it's not in a derogatory manner towards other people. It's just the fact that when you look at these other groups, that is a major factor. Those extra three series that relate to intelligence, and he talks about the fact that um, when black people were given some somewhat of a level playing field in sports, we've out-excelled everybody else in those sports. And he had used basketball, for example, at the time he was doing the video, I think it was in the earlier 2000s. And he had said at that time there were uh, 20, 29 uh, world, uh, best in the world basketball players. And he said 28 of those 29 were African-Americans. And he used that as an example. And he just said, if you look at all the sports where we were allowed to, you know, play amongst other groups, we out excelled them. And he said, this is the information they suppress from black people. And if we knew this information and other information about who and what we really were, that our ability to out-excel our ancestors would be triggered on a genetic level. And he talks about being an educator and the fact that this sort of information he has brought to the children of Philadelphia, and he was actually the one to facilitate the, gov the government of the city of Philadelphia um, making it mandatory that um, before a child graduates high school, they have to have had uh, black studies courses. So this is a man who's pioneered a lot of work in that area, and he's personally seen how this stuff affects the minds and lives of black children when they know these things. Um, and 
it was funny because there was a I've talked to a lot of and helped a lot of young black people um in my life and there was one in particular that I grew really close to and I met him years ago on allhiphop.com and he was um a, a gangbanger from Texas um a blood and but highly intelligent extremely well read um actually had a a, a, a strong sense of self as an American African male, but he just, you know, had a lot of different things that facilitated him joining this gang and he was into some things. And at the time he was basically moving rapidly away from that and trying to do something more constructive with his life. So at the time he was preparing to um, get ready to go into college and we had discussed some of that stuff. And um, also he had had a couple of run-ins with well, his brother because his brother was his younger brother was actually still dealing with the gangs and at one point some stuff had happened at his house and they shot up his house thankfully nobody was hurt and he was able to not cross the threshold and get himself into anything after that that situation ended up getting resolved peacefully thankfully and um eventually he ended up <laughs> getting initiated into the um the Ifa tradition of the Yoruba people. He also does parkour and travels all around the world now doing parkour, and he had done some college courses, and now he has two children. And I recently actually caught up with him, again, after not after losing touch with him for a little while, so it was great to hear from him. And one of the things that we had discussed, he had discussed with me before, was the fact that the information I was imparting to him about who he was with stuff that he had never encountered before. And that was a big part of, of facilitating his shift in the direction into where he is today. And um, Dr. Robinson was talking about the fact that this is the sort of information that they keep from us um, in order to perpetuate this, this myth <laughs> that black people are, you know, less than worthy of being able to have a just society to live a full life. Um, and like Dr. Walton would say, express your fullest genetic potential. Um, later on in the video, he goes into the some information regarding, because I've heard a lot of people talk about hair, and it was somehow black women uh, straightening their hair came up. And Dr. Robinson had gone into uh, discussing life and the fact that white people have the highest incidence of life than any other racial group. And African people, black people have the lowest incidence of life of any racial group. Um, and basically black people were never vectors of life. We were never um, humans that inherently had life or dealt with life. Life was something or, you know, um, grubs and, and insects on the body is something that uh, primates like gorillas would deal with and white people dealt with the most. So he was going into a discussion about the fact that black people, the way that our hair goes out of our head, uh, life can't really get a foothold in deep in the follicle at all, which is one of the major reasons that, that the, the, kink, the so-called kink in our hair, whereas white people have like a, an oval uh, hair shaft that grows out in, a, in, a, in like a, a spiral, and it's easier for them to set up shop. So then he goes in and he was he was talking about uh, the fact that when you go to the pharmacy, you'll find 
all of these different chemicals. He said usually up to 29 different chemicals you use to kill or get rid of life. And he said that in the 80s or the 90s that these chemicals stopped working. The animals had genetically mutated to a point where the chemicals were not effective. So they came up with something called a robicone, which is a robicone is basically an electronic cone that zaps the lice and their, their nits. And the nits are basically sacs that hold the eggs that they reproduce from. So you'll hear them zapping it as they're combing their hair. And um, he had shown an image for a Roby comb and whatnot. You can still look them up to this day because they still use them. That's the best way to get rid of life um, without having to use chemicals. And um, it was just interesting because we will hear a lot of things about the differences between black and white people. And there's a major difference dealing with the pineal gland. I'll get into that too. And there's so much that we, I mean, if we're supposed to be, and based on this study, genetically, we're supposed to be the most intelligent of all the different racial groups, quote unquote racial groups. Um, what is it that is stopping us from doing what we need to do to stop the system of white supremacy? Everything that white people don't want us to do is everything that we should be doing. Everything they did to put us where we are now, we should be doing the exact opposite. So when white people tell us not to like other black people from other parts of the world, we should be doing the opposite. When white people tell people in other parts of the world not to like black Americans, they should be doing the opposite. Um, and we should be... And, and that's, that's, this ties into our previous show that we did on um, whether or not the system of white supremacy has uh, retarded black people's development. And what I find is that this reality they've created, and Gus has talked about it on the cows, I've talked about it with Gus on the cows, as well as other, many other people, it is designed to retard us. It's designed to put us in a mental state that is akin to the state that the Europeans were in when the Moors found them. And if you look at how we function, we have been retarded to that point. A lot of things that our people find important are the most trivial, frivolous, show-off-ism, uh, self-deprecating, self-disrespecting, self-denigrating stuff. I doubt you could have gone to the Yoruba people of West Africa and found them twerking in their traditional society and saying, yeah, that's dope to see a black woman shake her naked behind. But we find that a titillating in the Western societal model system of white supremacy. I doubt that a lot of the different uh, real wild idiosyncratic things that we've picked up from being around these people for so long um, are things that our ancestors used to do a fine gratification and before they encountered these people. And, you know, when you hear all these, these wonderful things about your ancestors, it's not about um, show-offism or uh, what you called it, um, emotional massage. That's a great term. It's not about an emotional massage. It's really about giving you a benchmark to strive to. When you look at white people, they do it all the time. You don't think, why do you think they don't, they say, we love you why do you think they put their ancestors on a dollar? So every time you go to spend one, if you're a white person, you're looking at an ancestor to, as a benchmark. When they name all your streets after their ancestors, 
it's, it's so that the white people who know their ancestry. Dr. Robinson talked about that in another video we played before, where he was in a room full of, of, of um, college students, and there were 500 white students, and he asked them, how many of you know your ancestry? And all of them raised their hands, he said. And he said, not only did they know what city their ancestor came from, they knew down to the borough in Europe that their ancestor came from. And he said, when he did the same with black students, no hands went up. So that is what you're cut off from. This is all the stuff that would give you a benchmark to say, this is what I need to strive to and, or towards and pass in regards to the, my ability to accomplish um, when expressing myself to the highest of my genetic potential. But you're in a system that doesn't allow you to do that unless you're doing it in the service of white supremacy. That's the system that we're in. But we do have the ability to learn and take those things back to our people, whether here or in other parts of the world. That's what Geronimo Pratt did in the Panthers, and there were other Panthers that, and other people that did similar things. But he went into the military, learned their techniques, came back to, to the West Coast, and taught black people. If you, anyone who's ever seen the spook who sat by the door, that's exactly what that story is about. A black male from, uh, from Chicago goes to college. Um, he's connected to the streets before he goes in. So, I mean, he knows the gangs, and he's cool with all of these folks. He ran with them back in the days that he went to college and whatnot, came out of college, learned all, went to the CIA, learned all of their espionage, bomb-making, um, you know, martial arts skills, went back to the hood and taught all the gangs and created little sleeper cells and did what he did if he saw the movie. But the bottom line is he learned from, from the enemy, took the best of what he learned from them, and taught other black people. So the model has been done in real life, and it's been done cinematically, and we we just don't do it. You know, they uh that creation of uh BIE, that's gonna play a part in too. You know, they just got uh they just I can't everything is messing up. My man, I'm so sorry, brother. No, it's all good. We we gonna make it happen regardless. Go ahead. You did a great job of uh explaining all of that though, by the way, you you gave us a First off, thank you, Brother Cujo. Yeah, he gave everybody a visual you. to be able to picture that. But right now, shouldn't we? I think the, and this is just my opinion. I think the first thing we should do is find a closed space, a real closed space. Mm-hmm. That way, the United States won't be so small. You know what I'm saying? Not like Facebook, where everything is uh being reported and seen. Right. They're gonna start we just talked about Facebook. But like BTR community, where you can move as a whole, not necessarily getting along with everybody, but you can make decisions which will impact in a uh in a bigger manner. Yes. Just my thought though. Let me I'm I'm sorry, Roz. I'm still trying to get this together, and I'm over here making a lot of noise. That's why. I oh, no problem. It's all good. No problem. There's no problem. Um, I wanted to also get into some stuff regarding melanin. Um, I think every black person who's interested in learning about melanin, a great text is called 
The Science of Melanin by Dr. Timothy Moore, if I remember correctly. Uh, very well done, documented, and he's a he's a science neuroscientist, if I remember correctly. And he gives a phenomenal scientifically based information on melanin. And the other author who is just at the pinnacle of this sort of stuff, um, he's now a grandsister too, is Dr. Richard King. And he has two books. One is called um it's called The African Origin of Biological Psychiatry. That's one by Dr. Richard King. And the second one is Melanin, A Key to Freedom. And he goes into um, the Kemetic and Nile Valley Africans creation, but it's something that you find across Africa, but he specifically focused on that region in regards to melanin and their understanding of melanin, especially neuromelanin, something known as the black dot, which is um, when you get into the higher realms of the the uh, the educational slash spiritual practice in that region, when you go through the initiatic process, um, essentially you go into uh, deep ancestral memory based on the melanin that you carry and the genetic uh, material you carry from your oldest ancestors. And he talks about that in the most profound way possible, but there's some excerpts from it in this particular article. And I wanted to kind of just read a couple of things just to uh, give some insights on some noted differences that they had talked about here. One, uh, this one says, melanin also plays a key role in the ear. This biopigment is critical to hearing sound. Sound is a form of light. Melanin serving as a photoreceptor receives this light as it does everywhere in the body. Melanin is located in the inner ear. In the article, The Influence of of Inner Ear Melanin by Mary Louise Barron's, and Frederick Lindgren theorized that hearing is better preserved in colored people than in white people. And um, Bush, Butch, Bush and Rayford compared the hearing functions of blacks and whites and found that the hearing thresholds were superior in colored people compared to whites. Rosette et al. studied hearing thresholds of 541 primitive people from the Republic of Sudan to primitive people in a noise-free area and showed that these people displayed better hearing thresholds in the high frequencies than has been reported from studies of modern Western civilization. In 1985, Elias and Pratt auditory evoked potential correlates of susceptibility to noise-induced hearing loss, found significant correlations between the iris and skin pigmentation. The more pigment in the iris or the outer surface of the eye, the less susceptible one is to noise. In general, African people hear a broader range of sound than Europeans. So further down, they go into the um the pineal gland and it's so the pineal gland is basically a small pine cone shaped organ right in the center of the brain between the two ventricles um it's at the brow level just above between the eyes where a third eye would actually be and what scientists find found is that it actually behaves like an eye. It absorbs light and it releases uh, two chemicals, serotonin during the day. Um, and once it gets dark, it starts to release melatonin, which facilitates rapid eye movement sleep. Um, also, they find that uh, the pineal gland is what is known as the seat of the soul. So when people go into higher states of consciousness and start to uh, basically become what in comedic culture would be enlightened, uh, 
that brow area is where they signify that. That's why when you look at the different pharaohs or different um, priests, you'll find that they have a diadem over their heads or they'll fi- you'll find that they always have like a cobra or a cobra and a vulture coming out of the brow region of the pharaoh to show that they've been initiated and that they've reached what would be termed enlightenment or what, what modern people, if you were Christian, would call Christ consciousness. Um, so that was the symbolic rendition of that. And that has to do with the pineal gland and the, the, the movement of the sun and also the re- tapping into the higher functions of the brain. So they're going into this here and they said um, the pineal gland is present in all humans. However, studies of Vietnam cadavers, and it was a documentary I saw about this, but it says studies of Vietnam cadavers revealed that 85% of Caucasians have calcified or non-functioning pineal glands compared to 85% of Africans having non-calcified or functioning pineal glands. It is located right at the center of the head. The pineal gland releases the hormone melatonin during the night. Melatonin activates the brain site, pastrami, which in turn activates the locus corellius. This induces REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep. This phase allows a person to consciously recall their dreams and per African philosophy to tap into the collective unconscious memories and ideas from our ancestors. So they're talking about the, the neural melanin that's located in that region of the brain, the locus corellius. The pineal gland was considered the eye of vision in African, excuse me, African philosophy. The concept of a third eye, a gateway to the soul, is prevalent in all societies. The third eye has many appellations globally. In India, it is referred to as the bindi. In Christianity and Freemasonry, the eye of providence um, present on the dollar bill. Many religions have used the image of an eye in their religious symbolism. However, the earliest known example comes from Egyptian mythology and is known as the eye of Heru. The Hindu deity Shiva is also depicted with the third eye. The concept of the all-seeing third eye or wajet originated in Africa and spread throughout the world. So, um, where is it? There was something else here. Ah, here we go. So earlier in the article, they get into um, a discussion on melanin. So it says melanin is the most important chemical polymer in your body, and yet due to racism, its importance is not openly discussed or taught. Africans have documented knowledge of melanin dating back to 1800 B.C. The Egyptian word for melanin was chemist. The word chemistry is derived from this word. Chemistry is the study of black molecules. Carbon makes up melanin. Black melanin is a crucial biopigment. It is the black chemical of life. Melanin provides the skin color for all racial groups, but that is not its only function. There are several types of melanin. Human, the human brain has melanin known as neuromelanin. There is also skin melanin. Neuromelanin does not parallel with skin melanin. No matter the hue of your skin, white, red, yellow, black, or brown, neuromelanin plays a critical role in functioning of the brain and nervous system. There are three basic types of melanin, eumelanin, theomelanin, and neuromelanin. The most common type of melanin is eumelanin. There are two types of eumelanin, brown eumelanin and black eumelanin. Theomelanin impart a pink to red hue depending on the concentration. The human brain has melanin pigmented neurons, also known as neuromelanin. Neuromelanin is present in the brains of all humans, regardless of skin color. There is also skin melanin. Neuromelanin, oh, excuse me. Um, oh, there we go. Neuromelanin plays a critical role in the functioning of the brain and nervous system. In the skin, 
melanogenesis occurs after exposure to UV radiation, causing the skin to visibly tan. Melanin is an effective absorber of light. The pigment is able to dissipate over 99.9% of absorbed UV radiation. So um, it says melanin is produced inside of inside cells called melanocytes. Melanocytes are melanin-producing cells located in the bottom layer or the stratum of cell of the skin's epidermis, the middle layer of the eye or the uvea, and the inner ear, meninges, bones, and heart. Melanin is the pigment primarily responsible for skin color. Direct sunlight initiates the production of melanin or skin color. So they're just going into more of the science of that, but ultimately, um, theomelanin, which is the melanin that non- uh, Africans have uh, that would include uh, so-called yellow people or Asians from the Far East as well as Europeans, that is a, a pigment based on sulfur. Um, and sometimes you'll smell sulfur because on those people sometimes you'll get a strong smell of sulfur because of that, that uh, melanin. Eumelanin is copper-based. The, the melanin, that, that brown melanin and black melanin that they're talking about, that um, that black and melanated people have is uh, copper-based. So um, that's one of the reasons why copper is an important molecule to melanin because it helps to actually maintain healthy um, melanin, not just neuromelanin, but skin melanin as well. You don't want to overdo it with copper, but our melanin is based on copper versus uh, fail melanin, which is based on uh, sulfur, and it's the less effective form of melanin. So even though you have uh, you have uh, yellow skin Asians that can still get sunburned, and then you have the black Asians who actually tan. So and you'll find that throughout the Far East that it, you have two different types of Asians: the original, the descendants of the original black Asians, and then you have the um, the paler, what they would call yellow skin Asians, and the fail melanin that they have is way less effective, and um, that's why they're prone to getting skin cancer and things of that nature. Um, Dr. Robinson talks about some of that in the video, too. But um, ultimately, what we need to do is take the understanding of the fact that we should be functioning on a way higher level <laughs> than we are towards solving the problem. And um, Dr. Wilson used to always say that black people are the parent people. And basically, white people are the children. They're the youngest of all the different groups that have come into existence. Um, the white scientists themselves have come out in the last couple of years talking about the fact that um, physically white people did not come into existence until 8,000 years ago, which is 6,000 BC. That's when genetically you started to see the first what we would call modern-day white people. So um, prior to that, they weren't here. So get the Neanderthal caveman from 25,000 years ago out of your mind. They already showed with um, what's the, what they call them, cheddar man. <laughs> they showed with cheddar man that the first Europeans were dark-skinned African people. Dr. Uh, Cancer Joke talked about that in Civilization of Barbarism. He talked about the Grimaldi Africans which were the first people in Europe, uh, 40,000 B.C. Um, so these people are very, very new. Even our ancestors in Kemet used to always call the Greeks babies because they said they didn't know anything. Everything that they got, they basically got from the people of the Nile Valley, which is documented in Stolen Legacy. 
So every time the priests would have conversations with them, they would call them children because their history just, they didn't have a history that was comparable in any way to the extensive history of African people. And Dr. Wilson used to call, basically describe it like the children have the parents at gunpoint running the house. And that's basically what they've done to every other group that's non-white. They've just dominated them, but yet all of their machinations have been destructive as a collective group of people. And a lot of the differences, the differences that would make the difference between us um, having the best understanding of who we are so we know what we need to do and we're able to instate a system of justice, not a system of tyranny, um, they've suppressed all that information. And just like Dr. Robinson, I've seen how effective that information can be towards helping our children be the best they can be. Just to be able to know that they come from a great lineage. Without question. I mean, think about it. Like you said, all of those white people, the 500 white children in that college class, raised their hand. And these are the same white people that, you know, usually graduate you know, at the top of their class, even if they cheat or whatever else they do, but they graduate and then they go on to become something. We need to instill that in our children. And it's it's just an understanding of who you really are. And also you you, you teach them the mistakes that we made so they don't make the same ones. We have to become more open, more honest, more explanatory with our children. Explain to them what's happened. It's not pleasant to always tell, tell, feel, have to tell a child of yours about unpleasant things that have happened to you as a black, quote unquote, adult in the system of white supremacy. But it's something Man, we have to do. If for nothing but to keep anybody else from letting them know after they get to a certain age, yeah, I agree with that. Without question, um, there's something I wanted to to read briefly from the destruction of black civilization that kind of dealt with the way we treated each other. Um, And it just kind of gives more of an understanding to some of the stuff we need to kind of think about, maybe not do things the way we used to do it, but come up with a a more modern, but just better way of coming up with conflict resolution. So I'm just going to read this. This is from page 163 in um, the destruction of black civilizations. It says, um, the facts are set forth at the outset because both the constitutional system and its offspring, African democracy, originated in chiefless societies, quote unquote. And what is even more significant, democracy reached its highest development here where the people actually governed themselves without chiefs, where self-government was a way of life and, quote unquote, law and order were taken for granted. The basic structural outline of these states remained the same throughout Africa. There were the usual variations and exceptions. The amazing thing was and is the uniformity. Amazing how the most basic elements of ancient black civilization could have been held onto continent-wide by all of these dispersed and isolated groups in spite of the continuing impact of unimaginable forces of destruction. Now, I just want to stop there briefly just to let you know that when Dr. Chancellor Williams went to Africa. He went there with a group um, from the school he was teaching in, and they had contacted over 120 different African tribes throughout the continent, from all different parts of the continent, and were able to conduct their studies 
to come to this understanding of the connections which continent-wide between the different ethnic groups across the continent and the fact that they had nonviolent, quote-unquote, warfare or conflict resolution. So we're going to go into this real quick. And I just wanted to give you the, the scientific background on it so you understand it was a scientific study. So he's writing from his actual field experience. Um, we, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, brother. I just wanted to interject. Just, I just think it's interesting the point you, you raise up in regards to the fact that there were no chiefs, and that's yes. what was really successful for them. I, yes. found, I mean, that just speaks volumes as to the whole aspect of, I mean, quote-unquote, dominating people and subjugating people. And I've seen this where uh, one of my best friends, he was, he's, he's a Moor, and his, okay. fa- his father was like the head of the temple. And mm-hmm. and he was in, you know, the, the temple in Bestai, he, it was, I think it was a limited term where you're the head of the temple and then you have to step down. Okay. But brothers, but a lot of brothers and sisters were trying to get him to stay on. And he was like, no, this is, it's, my time is done. I don't, I'm not a perfect individual. Some of my views may, after a while, come across different or may, maybe, may, may seem too harsh. For other people to follow within the, within the temple, I want everybody else to step up and have the freedom. So we're all doing this and hearing that, <laughs> hearing what you just spoke about, it just reminded me of exactly what his pops told us. Like he's like, I I, I don't want to be this kind of ruler, so to speak. He didn't want to put himself right. in that position. You know what I mean? So that that was really interesting. Great point. Um, but it's, please go ahead, continue. No problem. And it's funny just to um, piggyback off of what you said before I continue. Um, Dr. Ben told his story because he was born in Gondark, Ethiopia, um, in 1918, and he grew up there for a while before moving to the Caribbean. Um, his mother was from Puerto Rico. His father was an Ethiopian Hebrew. His mother was a Yemenite Hebrew from Puerto Rico, and he moved mm-hmm. from the Caribbean to the States. But he talked about in Ethiopia, in Gondar, there's this area in the mountains because it's an extremely remote place. That's where what they call the Beta, Beta Israel, or quote-unquote Falasha, or um, which is a negative connotation is really Beta Israel, the Ethiopian Jews lived. And he said that um, there was an area in the mountains where there was one shed and in the shed was uh, a person who ran this convenience store. So they had all the stuff that, that was basically like the, the, the traditional bodega, you could call it, of the region. Okay. So people would travel from sometimes, uh, shoot, 100 miles away because it was so remote, it was the only place to get supplies for, like, many, many different tribes and ethnic groups. So mm-hmm. they would all come there, get what they need, and go back to their respective places and do what they needed to do. Now, there were times when the person had to go and get their re-up for their supplies and things like that, so they would have to leave the, uh, the, the shed unattended while they go to handle their business to get more supplies. During that, that time they were away, they would leave a bowl and near the front door. Whoever came to get supplies or get what they needed and leave payment in the bowl. No one ever stole anything. Everyone understood the importance of that place and the fact that they had to behave in a way that was equitable so that everyone could get a share. Mm. And that's what self-governance looks like, is respecting other people's lives and the things that they, that, that, and not, not, not taking too much, not overdoing it, not being greedy. Yeah, yeah. My my I, my. I, excuse me before you finish. My teacher who initiated me, 
he's now deceased. I remember one thing he used to say. He said in his village, he was from Burkina Faso, but um, he's one of the subset ethnic groups from, of the Dogon people. And he had told me, he said, in my region, in, in the traditional region there, if anyone is starving, somebody took my share. That's mm. the way it's looked at where they are. So basically they'll go to find out who took what they shouldn't have taken and make sure that the person who didn't have gets what they should have gotten. And mm. that's what they remind me of. But what were you going to say before I pick, pick up again? Uh, no, it was, it was in regard to conflict resolution, just how yes. it, it, it's just, I, I literally, um, and this, this, this goes back. One of my, one of my, my, my homegirls, she, she has a, um, like a metaphysical shop for healing, spiritual healing and everything. And nice. uh, she's out, in, she's out in Brooklyn and Williamsburg. And we had a sit down and it was interesting. She would um, classify herself as Puerto Rican, but mm-hmm. it's interesting talking to her and see how well, vastly and how far she's developed because prior to that, she was on the opposite end of the spectrum. If you know what I'm saying? Okay. So, so hearing her speak now and everything she was revolving around was just like, how do we get everybody to understand where we need to go? Like, do you think that we're going to be on the same page where we can address things and there'll be conflict resolution that'll be easier? Like, we don't have to result to violence throughout the whole thing. And I, and I said to her, I said, there was something that, and I'm not sure if you brought it up. I'm not sure if it was you. It might have been you, brother where mm-hmm. somebody on the cows spoke about this concept called RAD, which is racism avoidance disorder, where, yeah, <laughs> yeah, with, yeah, where people don't really want to address it. So you'll find with even your own non-white people that you'll get into conflict with them because they don't want to address it. So then you have to decide to yourself, how do I want to handle it? And that's where we were really tackling it is like, what should we do in these instances? Should we step back and just kind of let it go and let them come to us when they, they've come to some kind of epiphany, so to speak, or, you know, keep tackling them and keep going after them. And I, and I think depending on the individual will depend on the situation. You know, like I think family members, obviously you're going to always say something, but like a coworker, I mean, hey, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, right. it is what it Sometimes is. You gotta let them go. You can't, you can't drown trying to save nobody else. I would say what Gus said, and I, I didn't come up with the term "rad," but I remember that show. I, I think I participated in that show. But yeah, what, what it is is that um, I would just give them little gems here or there, and let it let let the, let them take root. And um, only in situations where the person would not be off put by me discussing race would I do that. Because what happens Mm. is if you start dropping little gems for them, they may not take it from you in the moment, but somewhere down the road, something's going to happen to them and they're going to, their memory's going to click right back to that conversation you had. And they're going to come back to you and say, remember when you told me about so-and-so and -and so-and-so? I need to talk to you about that because this just happened to me. And I thought you was crazy before, but (laughs) now that this has happened, I want to find out more about what you're talking about. And uh, Dr. Wilson right. talked about having friends 25, 30, some of them 40 years who used to tell her, I thought you were crazy. All that stuff you were saying about white people and racism, white supremacy and genetic knowledge, I thought you was crazy. But now I uh-huh. understand. So, I mean, all it takes is just being gentle, being patient, you know, not being, uh, you know, mistreating them because they're not um, resonating with what you might say in the moment. 
just plant the seed, and after a while, it'll resonate, and something will happen. Hopefully, it won't be anything fatal, but something will happen <laughs> where they'll come back and say, listen, I got what you were saying now, and I'm ready to hear more. Where, where I'm ready to learn. <laughs> Start telling me what you know. Just take your time, but right. just just be patient, and it'll come. Because um, I've seen it happen myself, and it's just amazing to watch it unfold when it does. Um, to see someone else, you know, finally get it, and then it's like, oh, okay, now I need to yeah. find out more about this. And I think that's what we need to do with each other. So yeah, let me just um continue through this real quick. So um, so I ended at the unimagined. Yeah, so ended at um, yeah, but okay. So he's talking about the fact that these elements were contained were maintained continent-wide by all of the dispersed, isolated groups in spite of the continuing impact of unimaginable forces of destruction. The lineage ties and responsibilities and the age-grade or age-set system were the earliest institutions through which African constitution functioned and out of which its democracy was born. It was a network of kinsmen or alleged kinsmen, all of whom descended from the same ancestor or related ancestors. All might live in the same community or state, but they were often scattered far and near in separate and independent societies. The ancestor from whom they claimed descent was always, quote-unquote, great because of some outstanding deed or extraordinary achievement. These generally grew in magnitude as time and the generations passed, thus causing the true achievements to be overlaid by false claims growing out of praise songs. Each generation of poets and storytellers gave the imagination full range in romantic glory. Myths were born in this matter and the in this manner, and the latter concepts of both royalty and divinity gained support from the same source. In contiguous independent chiefdoms, the lineage was the powerful factor in providing basis and incentive for the latter formation of kingdoms and empires. No people in African history used the concept of kinship ties more effectively than the Lunda. It's in the remarkable expansion of their empire, even more remarkable than the territorial expansion of the Lunda Empire was their idea of a nation of as, as of a nation as one big brotherhood. Accordingly, instead of first attempting to conquer and annex by force, they would approach the independent states and seek to demonstrate from oral history that all of them were merely segments of a common lineage, all brothers mm. in fact. It appears that the majority of states believed in the principle of a common ancestry and readily became members of the empire. Some required more facts before they were convinced. Still, others were not convinced or preferred to remain separate and independent. These were generally conquered and given lower status in the nation than those who united voluntarily. But we are considering lineage before the rise of kingdoms in particular. The lineage as the governing and organizing force in states without chiefs or kings, where the community consensus was the supreme law that anyone could ignore only at his own peril. There were interesting aspects of the many situations where a large number of chiefless states were scattered over a wide territory, each independent of the others, yet fully aware, and unlike in Lalunda land, had to be convinced that they belonged to a common lineage. Kinship found expression in trade and in temporary confederations when attacked by external foes, those not considered to be members of their lineage. There were quarrels and warfare between these member states of this common, of common lineage. 
the highly humane, I want you to listen to this, the highly humane aspect of African warfare that puzzled many Western visitors doubtlessly developed from the widespread recognition of lineage or kinship ties. For inasmuch heralded, quote-unquote, the heralded tribal wars, quote-unquote, the main objective was to overcome or frighten away the adversaries, not to kill at all if it could be avoided. Hence the hideous mass and blood-curdling screams as they charged. Even when the enemy was defeated or completely surrounded, escape routes were provided to victors pretending not to be aware of them. Indeed, there were reports of quote-unquote rest periods called when the, neither side seemed to be winning. At such times, the warriors on both sides might meet at the nearest stream to refresh themselves, kid each other, and laugh at each other's jokes until the drums, gongs, or trumpets sounded for the resumption of the battle. This was traditional Africa. How did it change to a warfare of killing, lineage or no lineage? How did it happen that even now in our modern and quote-unquote advanced civilization, some of the most murderous and inhumane wars are fought by blacks against blacks? And this in the face of their increasing awareness that they are in fact one people. It is quite clear that in early Africa, quote-unquote war was not much more than a frightful game when among themselves. Was the radical change brought about by the death-dealing incursions from Asia and Europe? This raises other questions of great urgency. Are we really civilized today? Have we not substituted the trappings of civilization, our tri triumphs in science, technology, and the computer, quote-unquote, revolution for civilization ties? Suffice it to say that the steady weakening of lineage ties and the spirit of, and the spirit of unity was also a weakening of the sense of brotherhood and unity among the blacks. Today it finds little expression except in various languages or tribal groups, and, th and these maintain it more and more as a collective force to be used against all others. Lineage then was the most powerful and effective force for unity and stability in early Africa, and this was so true that a state could be self-governed without the need for any one individual as ruler, chief, or king. Everyone was a lawyer because just about everyone knew the customary laws. I will stop there. So this is telling you there was a pan-African understanding on the continent there, and that they understood that they all came from a common lineage no matter how far or wide they were spread. A good example of this was Kemet. Kemet was not a homogeneous country. It was a country made up of 42 different African ethnic groups that came, into, came together in a confederation to form what we call Nile Valley High Culture in the region of what's known as Egypt today. They had 42 gnomes. Each was a city dedicated to one of the different ethnic groups that made up the, the, king, the, the, the kingdom of what is known as ancient Egypt. So that's 42 different tribes, different ethnic groups that came together to form what we know as Kemet. That's why you find uh, Meduneter in languages spread throughout Africa, whether you're talking about Zulu or Xhosa in South Africa, uh, the Yoruba of Nigeria, the Igbo, the Akan, the Wolof of Senegal, um, all the way down into the Congo. You're talking about the Twa people. Again, Egypt said that they, they were the ones who documented that they came from the world's first people, the Twa, the short, diminutive blacks. So we knew our history. Now that we don't know it, like he said, now we're killing each other um, regardless of kinship ties. None of that matters. Did that come with our encounter with Europeans and, and, and Asians? I say yes, but we, were, we, were, we had already been set right for that to happen but long before they came. Because long before, we had been here so long, we started to forget these ties long before the enemy showed up. 
So when they showed up, we were already in states of disarray. Our kingdoms were slowly starting to decay anyway, and they just took advantage of what we, and we never um, focused on uh, weaponry, uh, technology and the art of killing. We didn't do that. Other societies did. So when they came, we weren't prepared. We were already um, slowly dissipating, our memory dissipating in regards to these kinship ties that used to keep us from killing each other. If anybody's ever seen the series in the 80s called Shaka Zulu, when, um, when the two African tribes were about to fight each other when the British first, first arrived, um, I think it's Dingus Way or when somebody else, another group, another king's group was going into a conflict and they put on the mask and they started screaming at each other, but nobody was throwing their spears or killing each other. And the British said, this is what they call warfare? This is a joke. He's referring to what, uh, what Chancellor Williams just said, the fact that warfare wasn't killing. It was about trying to frighten the enemy. And if you had them surrounded, you actually gave them an escape route. I'll give you an example from the animal kingdom. When two male cobras come together and they're trying to have consort with a female, they fight. But they don't use their fangs and try to kill each other with their venom. They actually have a wrestling match. They twine around each other and see which snake can pin the other snake on the ground. Because they know that if they were to physically fight each other and use their venom, that they would both die. So knowing that, and, and life being about spreading your genetic material, they have this ritualized combat in the form of this dance and, and wrestling match. Same thing with bears, where they'll have these, these different um, contact, contacts where they wrestle with, males will wrestle with each other, but not outright kill each other. Sometimes the violence can get to that point, but for the most part, it's ritualized combat in order to spare the lives of the two combatants. That's what Africans were doing because we had been here long enough to understand that killing made no sense. When you study hip-hop, hip-hop was the resurrection of that concept. It was designed to, to stop gangs from killing each other, and instead you battled by doing what? Dancing. Ritualized combat in the form of dancing. Played to the drums of what? Hip-hop in the forests of New York City, a.k.a. the park, in the dark, the womb, the womb of the city, just like it used to happen in the womb of the continent, in the, deep in the forest. When you look at the, 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 the temples of Kemet, those temples are built with natural elements. All the pylons and stuff are meant to mimic either papyrus reeds, lotus flowers, or trees and, and forest-like environments. So in other words, they recreated the environment of Central Africa, which was the, a forest environment in stone because they didn't have a forest in Kemet anymore. And their earliest temples were oriented towards the south. Today it's known as the south, but back then it was called north because their ancestors came from the north. So the, the temples were oriented, that was really the south, but I'm calling it the north because that's what our ancestors called it. Their temples were oriented um, I'm going to say south because that's what everyone's familiar with, towards the south because their ancestors came from the south. So right. we understood this stuff. We lost this stuff. We've been brutalized for thousands of years now. We've been taught to hate w what we are. And the fact is the enemy knows that we are actually on a genetic level the most intelligent, highest expression. When the creator said, let me create, man in my image and after my likeness in the Bible. He's talking about African people and no one else. That's why we have nine series of genetic material and everyone else has six. And Dr. Robinson said it, Africa was the womb. The people who left early to people the rest of the planet did not stay long enough 
to get those extra bits of genetic material to give them that so they didn't pass it on to their descendants. Those of us who stayed, including the ancestors of American Africans, did stay long enough. So they have nine clusters while everyone else has six. So we have the, the, the creator-given intelligence in us. They know it. They hid it from us once they found out. What are we going to do with that? Are we going to continue to twerk and watch Empire and laugh at Donald Trump and call each other all kinds of reckless names and disrespect our, our women and our children and ourselves? Or are we going to finally come to an understanding that everything that white people don't want us to do is everything that we need to do in order to facilitate changing the system that we're in? They had a pan-European approach to dominating the planet, even though they were killing each other wholesale. We need a pan-African global agenda for ourselves. Everything Minister Malcolm tried to do, make inroads on the continent, make inroads in the Caribbean, make inroads all over the planet in order for us to come together as a collective. He was talking to the leaders of these places, and at the time he was going to take the United States and European governments to court, international court, to charge them with human rights crimes. And he had the Asian heads of state on board. He had the Caribbean heads of state on board. He had Martin Luther King on board. All, he had it all sewn up. That's why they had to kill him. Read Carl Evans' book, The Judas Factor, The Plot to Kill Malcolm X. It will change your life. It will really help you understand some real deep stuff about what happened to him. And that is a major aspect of why he was taken out like he was as quickly as he was. He was doing Raj. what was considered the impossible. Go ahead. Pardon, brother. No um, problem. Just just wanted to um, interject for one second, just in regards to one thing is uh, books. Some of the books you mentioned, I, I got to I gotta check those out because um, some of them I don't have in my library, you know, and I think, mm -hmm. and, and I'm, I'm, seg I'm I'm using that to segue into something else in regards to our um, our time we spend reading and and really comprehending just has to increase vastly, because um, because I I mean I communicate and talk with a lot of people and since I I'm I'm a reader you know but mm -hmm. I I try when I'm hanging around other people that I know are not readers I actually reserve words that I want to say because. I know that if I say them around them, their first words coming out of their mouth to retort back is going to be, oh, you using big words, man. Why are you using big words for? And <laughs> it, it may, you know, and, and I got to, I got to come to grips with it and go, wow, like I got, I got to actually, and here we go back to minimizing myself so that other people can comprehend but as long as it's productive, I don't mind doing that. But it's something to me like that has to start changing. Like we have to really mm -hmm. become mas masters of the language so we understand what we're saying to each other when we say certain things. Because, I, you know, <laughs> just just the simplest things as far as communicating and saying how are you doing, how's everything going today, just after a while when people see each other day to day, we just reiterate stuff and go, how you doing? Oh, I'm busy. Busy doing what? You know, what are you, what are you accomplishing? What are you busy doing? Oh, uh, you know, busy's good. Busy, how is busy good? What are you being productive doing that your busy is good? Like, I, you know what I'm saying? Just really getting yeah. into conversations with people instead of these light float conversations. And it's only obviously with people that are like-minded, you, you get into, into depth in regards with these things. But I, I find that the, the reading aspect, like, 
I, I try to share stuff as far as books with other people, but I, I realize that people sometimes don't have enough time, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and we, we're, we're, we're scrambling, man. We're, we're scrambling. Let's, let's be 100 about it. We are scrambling, trying to pick up what we can anywhere we can as, as efficient as possible. So I, I don't try to bombard people with it, but I think we got to step our game up with our, with our libraries because we need to pass down like, like in, um, sorry, I believe it's in Mali that they had one of the, one of the biggest libraries. And that was one of the, that yeah, was one of the biggest too. things. Yeah. That was one of the biggest things that were traded books. Books were Absolutely. considered more, more important than anything else. Absolutely. And, and, and I think we need to start getting back to that mentality because I think our ancestors had something they had something in mind during that time frame because you look at you look at European history and I mean the wars that these people had you're talking about the German you're talking about Germanic wars people don't even talk about that war by the way mm-hmm. those Germanic wars you had the hundred year wars you had the um well I think it was the British and there's too many to count. World War yeah, One, they were wholesale slaughtering each other for. I I tell people if it, it wasn't for them, them encountering us and being able to successfully dominate us, they would have self-destructed a long time ago. Oh, they would. We have they become the buffer to their self-destruction. Exactly. And, and they have developed a system where they have a code, and they'll stop killing each other to take care of us, and then go back to killing each other. Black people, on the other hand, you know, we two of us fighting and a white person come around, one of us going to try and convince the white person to take our side so we could dominate the other guy and then laugh at him like, ah, I got the white guy on my side. Ah, that's what we'll do. Like, yeah, yeah. there's just a different way of thinking. And it's funny because when you look at American Africans, Western Hemisphere Africans, they are the literal example of a Pan-African people. They were mm. forced to, they took tribes that were enemies on boats to a place, forced them all to speak one language, forced them all to procreate with each other. So they created a genetic Pan-African society. That's why in America we have allegiance to a continent rather than a specific region because we're Mm. an amalgamation of so many regions of Africa and we don't know a lot of us where we came from. So they created a Pan-African people. That's why black people here, when we say black, we mean all black people, meaning African people, anybody who looks like us. When you go to yeah. Africa, they think tribally. I'm a, mm. I'm a Fonte. I'm an Igbo. I'm a Yoruba. I'm a Teke. I'm a, a, a Pele. Uh, you know, mm. like that's how they think. But then, you know, you had when, uh, when apartheid happened and when the Congo was dominated, they started to understand that they were black because they were being enslaved, abused, genocided, and mistreated like we were here. So you, that's, what we, that's the barrier we have to break is getting out of the tribalism. In the Western Hemisphere, we have the biggest problem here is ideological tribalism. If you don't follow whatever religious or ideological path I'm on, you're the enemy too. That's how yeah. we think. And then in Africa, they mm-hmm. think, if you're not of my ethnic group, you're one of them. <laughs> That's how they think. And not all of them, but I'm just saying, like, these are the things that are the 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 the, the the non-unifying factors that we hold on to, that we need to let go of. When we get to understand that we're all being destroyed because of one thing, because we're considered black people, no matter where yeah. we're at. You know, it's funny because um, I was watching this video earlier today, and, and Brother Larry was saying African people are different everywhere. 
So meaning in all the countries that they, they're located in, they're called Africans, but they see themselves as either a nationality or a tribe or ethnic group or black, as a black person, depending on what society they're in. And he also said all the black people in America have never been in the same place at the same time. We've never come to a consensus on what we're going to call ourselves. We've never come to a consensus on what we need to do as far as solving the problem, not looking at all mm. the things that make us different, but let's unify mm. around solving the problem and get all of us in one place at the same time to start having these discussions. True. True. If we could do that, then things could shift dramatically. But we have too many people amongst us that do the white people's work for them. Scotty calls them proxy racists. They'll come in and just create dissension everywhere. Mm. And, and, and these are the things we have to be vigilant about, but it also has to do with developing a code, a code that everyone adheres to in regards to how we treat each other when we encounter each other. If we can get to that point, and these are things yes. that have been shown to us. I just read what our ancient history was. So Pan-Africanism is not, was not born in the Western Hemisphere. It was resurrected in the Western Hemisphere mm. and propagated back to the place that it originally started at and everyone forgot because we had been here so long that literally our memories were slipping us. That's why in Kemet they wrote books in stone. They didn't write just papyrus books. Their books were in stone. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, we yeah. want you to find this, decipher this, and come back and do everything that we were unable to accomplish. Each pharaoh used mm -hmm. to leave instructions for subsequent pharaohs so that they would build on temples. They used to call them temples of living stone because each pharaoh would create a new wing and the temples would vibrate. The stones in the temple actually vibrate. This is stuff they've tested. I would tell everybody, mm. read Isha Shwala de Lubis, one of the, the, the few white people who, he actually lived in Karnak Temple for 22 years and documented every hieroglyph on every pylon, every floor, every ceiling that he found there. And from being in that temple, he lived in the temple for 22 years. And in that time, he was able to decipher so many secrets that our ancestors left for us. It is phenomenal and mind-blowing. Mm. So, I mean, there's work to be done, and it's really not about soothing the ego or emotion. It's about we are leaps and bounds intelligent enough to solve this problem. We just have to start raising our people to the level of expressing their highest genetic potential towards solving the problem. We don't have to agree on religion. We don't have to necessarily agree on the exact path to finding justice, but we have to agree on what the problem is. And even if we don't agree on the same path, we can use those separate paths as different means of attack to topple the system. But we have to come mm -hmm. to a consensus on how we treat each other. How do you feel when you look in the mirror and you see what's looking back at you? Do you see the highest expression of genetic material that the creator ever created in the form of a human being or do you see a nigger? And that's a, that's a and question. That's what, and that's what your enemy knows. He knows. That's why he hit it. Because he knows. That's why I wish we could have played the video. He knows. <laughs> he knows more about us than we know about ourselves at this point. And we need to start learning this stuff and putting it to use towards solving the problem. 
Mike Neely Fuller says, and Scotty tends to reiterate this quite regularly, if you're not about justice, nothing else matters. You can't be proud about being an African. You can't be proud about being white or anything else if you ain't about justice. What is about justice? And we created mm. the first just society. I just read it to you, the first self-governing society with no ruler. That was the highest expression of democracy. Every person having their own personal self-determination, but living in concert with the group so no one was, was taken from anyone else. Hasn't that happened recently? In Spain. There's, a, there's an area in Spain where they self-govern, and, and, like, the government's really mad about that. They're trying to change it, but the people are like, no, we don't need y'all. We need to start looking at these things that we used to do, taking the best of those things and resurrecting them and modernizing them for our use today. And we take the best of what's happening today and also facilitate connecting those two things and blossom something new. Mm. What is that in the background? I don't know. I'm not playing anything. It stopped now. Okay. Thank you. But um, yeah, thank you. But yeah, that's 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 what I think we we should be doing. But they know this stuff. We don't know it, and it will change the life of your child. If your child knew that they invented math, they would be. If they were having problems with math, they would be that much more interested in figuring out what they, they don't understand because they know that their people invented it. Mm. That's just a, a, a natural inclination. Like, wait a minute, if my people develop this stuff, I've I got to know how to do i got to be able to learn how to do this if they created it. Mm. Man, you, you, you took that all the way around and I appreciate you so much. I don't know what's happen with this computer. No, it's okay. <laughs> it happens, man. I'm just, I'm glad I was able to do it because, man, I was really yeah. counting on being able to chop up because the brother really laid it down. But I think I did a pretty darn good job, I have to say. Yeah, you um, did. Not, uh, not to pat myself on the back, but I was just like, man, I actually did remember a lot. But um, it, it's just something, man, I love, I love our people and I just want to see us do better. Period. You know, even people I disagree with. I don't wish ill on, on them. You know, it's just it's just not in me to do that. When I was younger, more confused, absolutely. I was on a whole different thing. Now that I'm older and I understand and, and understand the world that I live in and I understand what our people suffer and how much I don't know about what some, some other black person I encountered or may encounter is suffering at that moment I encounter them. And I choose to treat them with respect rather than abuse them or talk, call them out of their name or whatever. These are all things I developed over time. It took time. And I grew up around Dr. Ben and Dr. Clark and a whole slew of other people that taught me all kinds of wonderful, incredible things that helped to shape who I am now. But I still went through the trenches like everybody else. The difference was when I was coming up, the criminals were smart as heck. They could talk to you about racism, white supremacy, talk to you about world events, and stick you up at the same time. That's just the type of people I grew up around. Today, it's a different caliber of criminal. There's no honor amongst thieves. People are just straight-up retarded. They film themselves doing stuff and post it on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever other chat they got, and then they get arrested. <laughs> or they rap about it like Takashi 6 9 and they sit in the federal prison right now. 
let's let's keep Crazy. it one hundred. Like we we have been retarded to the point of just it's unfathomable how far we've actually fallen. And yeah. all we need to do is actually start to really, really reverse the ways that we function and stop being reactive and be preemptive. Our ancestors used to plan generations in advance. Now white people plan generations in advance how to suppress us for generations to come while we're thinking of tomorrow and only tomorrow. I even did a rap song where I talked about that, just thinking about, like, right now, because at that point in my life, that was all I was able to think about. And as I got older and I looked back on that song, and I'm like, wow, my mind state was different, and I was angry as heck. I was more confused, ready to, to, to get busy on whatever kind of violent level people was ready to get busy with. And I really didn't have anybody around accessible to me to help me connect certain things. And, and thankfully, the ancestors put people in my past and put situations in my past to facilitate that. And I, I was told by all my grandcestors, make sure that what you are learning, after you vet it to be true, to the best of your ability, you give it to as many people that would accept it. And if they don't want it, then it's not for them. Maybe this is not the lifetime for them to have it. And I say that because we don't live once. That's another thing they got people tripped out on. But in African culture, we don't live once. You know, we, we come back in our, in our family. So somebody who might have been your third great-grandparent might end up being your brother in a different lifetime. That's how you mm-hmm. live forever, ain't it? Every, every, yep. That's the difference between Set and Asar. Set lived forever, so he had no reason to procreate. He could have sex, but he couldn't have children. He was impotent. Asar decided to live forever through death and resurrection by way of his progeny. So that means that as long as his genetic material was still existing in the physical world, then he's never truly dead. Hmm. And every time you have a child, you are giving the opportunity to another ancestor to come back into this world to have experience and further perfect its spirit. That's what our ancestors taught. Yes, sir. Ross, Ross, one of the things that definitely um, stuck out was the um, the honor code that was laid down in the in the beginning, where you were speaking about the, the that tribe and that little shack. I mean, I feel like that was, it's just critical for us to have, even once we are, quote unquote, less confused or or more conscious, that amongst us, there's a certain level of honor that we we have to have and walk with. And I think as men, it's almost critical that we we have that and kind of show that attitude because they've, again, retarded us to the point that, like you said earlier, we're, we're, we're looking at twerk videos and and we're spending our time chasing this this round <laughs> this round ass <laughs> like a part of me is saying it, but <laughs> it's just it is what it is. And don't get it and don't get me twisted. Like I'll, I'll you know I'll, I'll attest to the same issues myself because um, I grew up in that hip hop era, that golden era, where mm-hmm. there was a lot of there was a lot of sex and and yeah. and involved in that. And my first my first son's mother. I'll be I'll be 100. She was a video vixen. Like you look at her, you like, damn, all right, you know. But communication wise, trying to build, I wasn't there because I had been, you know what I mean. I had been programmed mm-hmm. a different way from watching TV and all these other uh, antics on television. And it's it it takes damn near 
part of the metaphor, but like an exorcism to get these things out off your system. And I really think it, it involves some deep self um, self exploration. Yeah, self cleansing. Yeah. And it's interesting because um, you know, when you look at ancient literature, we were described as the most pious, most just, most spiritual people on the planet. Whether you read Diodorus, whether you read Count Volney, whether you read um, Al Jahid, The Glory of the Whites Over the Black, Ibn Battuta. So I'm talking from Arabic scholars to European scholars. We were renowned for our ability to be just and upright people. Now we're renowned for being everything negative they can say about us. I want to read one last thing before we get ready to close out the show. This is from a book called Negroes and Other Essays by one of uh, my Jenna Umulimu Baruti, and this has been a profound phrase. I think it's so appropriate, so we have something to think about as we go into this week, and hopefully it will stay with folks, and it might be a, a driving for, force in your transformative process. So this is from an essay called The Cultural Continuum on page 37. It says, if European culture is insanity, then at the fundamental level, humans define and perceive reality we as Africans and people of color have a very serious problem. If a cultural minority becomes the power majority, and this minority through military, media, and religious might force the majority cultures to adopt its culture as their own, then insanity becomes the norm and is redefined as sanity. Accepting another one, another's reality as your reality makes their reality yours. If the global majority is right, then Europeans are wrong. How dare they stand in judgment? Mm. Think about that. If their culture is insanity and you've been forced through media, military, religious might to adopt their culture as your own, then insanity becomes sanity. And that's what I mean when I say in order for us to not wake up every day and just be wholesale killing everything on sight and just out of our rabid minds, action just insane. We have to have a touch of sanity, insanity ourselves, and we have to have reconciled ourselves with the insane system that we live in in order to function with any modicum of civility after what we've been through for 500 years. Mm. Man, you, you got that whole thing up, Ross. It, My brother. Yeah, I got the partner I got. Uh, Cujo, appreciate you. you. you Cujo, you really saved the day. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's a pleasure, man. I, I appreciate I appreciate you, brothers. You, you don't understand. Like, uh, it, it, I think you already know it's far and few in between. We don't meet a lot of people that are trying to make the effort on Just certain a levels. Mass. Just a critical mass. That's all we need, a critical mass. Society was never changed by everybody. It was always changed by a small percentage, but they were enough to tip the balance in the right direction. And once the right, once the rest of the people saw that things were going in a certain direction, they jumped on board with it. But it was always a small group that was that critical mass that they needed. And then once the the rest of the people saw that, hey, they're making waves, they're making stuff happen. Well, I'm jumping on this bandwagon too. That's what's always (laughs) happened. So that's yeah. what we need. Let's work towards that in the best way we can, and hopefully we'll get there, you know, as soon as possible. <laughs> we trying but, to get to yo, justice ASAP. Go ahead. Yeah, but, yeah, these the books, man. I, I need to link up with you brothers, um, like, offline or something. Just, sure. I, 
I, I got some, I, you know, I have some good ones here. I have like AIDS and opium, uh, Diamonds okay. and Empire, got American Slave Coast, uh, Ops, Delectable Negro. I got a, a couple down here. I mean, I got a lot. But I could give you tons of titles. I have a, a pretty, pretty deep, pretty big library, so I can give you yeah. titles galore. And um, yeah, I just think can. these texts are just important for us to really widen and broaden our scope of perception and understanding. And if we can do that, these are the first steps towards really doing what we need to do to come together in the manner that we need to. Like I said, we don't all have to get along. We don't all have to agree on how we're going about solving the problem. But we have to agree that we have a problem, and that problem is greater than any differences that we have, and that the only way to solve that problem is for us to work together. Those are the yes. things we need to come come to an understanding and and really start to make headway as far as coming to a common ground about, and then we develop a code. How do we treat each other when we're amongst ourselves? How do we treat each other when outsiders are there that are non-black, whether they're non-white mm-hmm. or white, and how do we treat each other and, and work together when white people are around? How do we codify our language so that we're, we go back to not letting others into our stuff? We have to develop means of having conversation without other people knowing what we're talking about. We used to do that, but via hip-hop, we gave it all away to the enemy and everybody else, too. So we have to start really codifying around the way that we function as a people. Let's do it. Let's, we, like I said, I just showed you tonight, and all of the stuff that I discussed, you can find in the threads, in the threads for tonight's show. You listen to those, um, those videos, you will find out everything that I said but they're telling you that we are the smartest beings on the planet from a genetic standpoint. Look at how we behave and tell me if we behave like those people that, that they know we are. Look at what our ancestors did that, were, that made them renowned throughout the annals of history and tell me if anything that we're doing today that is popular and prominent compares to what they did. You'll be laughed at because it's non-existent. We're doing stuff that, that's just literally white supremacy with black people performing it, whether it's music, mm. whether it's acting, whether it's conversation, you know, um, the way we treat each other, the way we treat white people. Like, literally, you can be in a store, white person in front of you, black person at the register. They're all extra pleasant, accommodating to the white person, even offer to help them with their bags to the car. You step up, they look at you like, here come this nigga. Yeah, we have to get past that. We have to get past that. We got to love ourselves. And and it doesn't mean hating anyone else. It means really putting yourself first. That's what everyone else does. That's pretty much what we got to do. And if we can do that and treat each other with dignity and respect and try to help each other where we can. I mean, I just saw a video just before we close out. I was watching the video about uh, Columbia. Colombia has allowed over 1 million Venezuelans into their country, and they're still allowing them into the country. And matter of fact, it got to the point where actual Colombian citizens are allowing refugees from Venezuela to move into their houses with them free of charge. That is what justice looks like. People who need the most help getting the most help. And what happened was Venezuela uh... had helped Colombia in the 80s when they were having super financial problems. They were having war. It was on the FARC wars. Over 7 million people were killed, and Venezuelans were taken in Colombians. So they mm. paid it forward. 
and that's what we need to do. We're so busy arguing about Africans don't like us and them Caribbeans, blah, blah, blah. And then the same thing on the other side, Africans saying stuff about American Africans and so on and so forth. Instead of making inroads because of one good deed done decades ago, Colombia and Colombia and Venezuela used to be one country. A lot of people don't know that. So they basically are the same people, and they treat, they've been treating each other so, they've been treating each other so well that it is, it's, it's something that we can pay attention to. It really, it yeah, really pass can. It on to them cheers, we, man. We got work to do, real work. So I, I'm sorry. Anybody had any last thoughts before I close out the show? But I'm just passionate about us. Um, go ahead. I'll, I'll see the floor, no, and, and, and then we close out. No, just thank you for your uh, for your memory first and foremost. You know what hey, I'm saying? Just being you while I'm working through this this little issue, it totally threw me off. I apologize. No, Thank you, too, Brother Cujo. Yes. No, Thank you so much. No, it was great. It's a pleasure, man. It's a pleasure. Like I said, I, I definitely want, um, uh, like, I'm I'm just trying to build my library more than what it is. It's, it's pretty thorough right now. That. Yeah. Matter of fact, yeah. if you want, you can hit me up. Um hit me up in my email, um, R A S K E L I L E at Comcast dot net. Um and you know, just hit me up and then I'll respond to you. I'll send you my information. At least you get in touch offline and whatnot too. So I think we need to build and um like I said, I could just I could definitely give you titles. I have so many books here. Thanks thanks to my my father and um you know and and my mother but the most of the work was done by my father as far as far as um my connections to our ancestors and it was through him and them that I learned about a lot of these texts and just started building my library in my team so a lot whoa, of some whoa. of the, go ahead what was that email address again R E S R A S K E L I L E at Comcast.net. And you can just put in the title, um, this is Cujo, and I'll just, you know, that way I know it's you, and not that it matters, I'll check it anyway, but, yeah, and then from there, you know, I'll send you my information too, and we could just start building and whatnot, because, um, yeah, I could definitely help you with that, and we could just chop it up about all kinds of stuff, man. I look forward to that. And like I said, at some point, we got to link up. I'll just make a special trip to the city just so we can link up and, um, you know, hopefully yeah, we can build. Yeah, you, I mean, I'm I'm probably uh bring my son along too, man. He cause oh, he needs to he needs to he he hears stuff, but I I can tell because he's so young. I mean, he's uh-huh. twelve and oh, wonderful. That's a him. perfect age. Okay. Yeah, you talk to him and he, you know, just last week he had a, a kid got suspended from school for calling mm-hmm. him a nigger. Wow. So the kid called. So the kid called him a nigger and. The, the dean, the dean is on point because I made him on point because I've been telling him okay. if my son had if my son has any issues if there's a problem I'm going to address it with you and if you don't address it I'm going to take mm. it elsewhere and I did right. it via e- I did it via email so that every it's documented, documented. Like, yo, we had yep. yeah we had this conversation so when I sue your ass sorry sorry when if I sue y'all <laughs> <laughs> this is it's you know what I mean. We have yeah. I have evidence that we went over this. So right. Dean did the Dean did the right thing. He called me up, told me the child was suspended, bringing the parents up, really addressing it with the parents and everything. But this was a white child that did this to your son. 
and this is this I'm glad you asked that question. This was fascinating about it. It's an Asian child, so called Chinese. And um wow. I, I I tell them, I say I, and I tell a lot of my boys, I'm like, yo, don't think Asian people are that cool. Like I have you know, and I'm I'm being I'm be one and like I have friends that are Chinese in Chinatown, but even them, like I'm very, you know, I, they have a let's say I, I think I told you already I've been you just got to treat people. You just got to treat people how they are. I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I always thought I always told my son always be aware of whatever people you're dealing with. Understand their historical their relationship, relationship with African people. With African people. Doesn't mean that they're going to be um, potentially um, potentially racist towards racist you. Towards but if they if they as a people have a history of that, then know that there's a possibility, even if they're non-black, non-white, that they white. might come at you that way. And, right. and, and you know, and that's really what it is. I have a, a half Chinese aunt. She's she's mm. um, African Trinidadian and Chinese Trinidadian. You know, mm. and um, and you know, it's it, it's something that um, like I said, and I have um, in, uh, what we call Douglas, which are basically Indian African Trinidadian. And I don't and deal with that I don't deal with because them. they because they, they actually they, live according to the Indian caste system. So they have views about black people. And themselves, <laughs> that is akin to the way white people view. Yeah, white so people I don't mess with those. I don't mess with relatives. So yeah, I don't yeah, understand I, what you're saying. But yeah, bring your son. I would love that. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. That's, that. that's what's up. That's what's up. Because he needs he needs to hear it, and I just want to keep him involved and let him be more aware. Because, like you said, the studies you said, are shown. The studies are shown. The more it's they early. know, the more they know, the earlier the better off it is for them. They're more equipped. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, with that being said, we're going to wrap up. Do you have something else you want to say real quick before we close out? No, uh, thank no, sir. You. Once again, uh, right. Cujo. Yes, thank Cujo, you. thank you. Thank you to the uh, other callers and listeners. Um, we greatly, um, greatly appreciate your patience. We had some technical difficulties. I hope I did the subject justice tonight. Um, uh, you know, we did have you know, stuff there, but you know, things happen, you know, and we have to have, have contingency plans. plans. I hope this thing, I hope this thing worked out in the way that we were able to understand what I was talking about. If not, and you have questions, please let us know next week. We can get into it. No problem. No problem. Thanks for everyone for being with us this Tuesday evening, the 27th of November. I will say the prayer, and we will close out the show. Creator. We ask that you help us to remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us to remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time that we are in contact with another black person. It has been time to replace white supremacy with justice ASAP. Let's end the criminal prison industrial complex and human trafficking ASAP. I am in the love of the all and all love is in me. I am a part of the all and the all is a part of me. I am one with the all and the all is one with me. I can succeed as a part of the all and fail as an individual. I can be all that I wish in the all as long as my wish is to stay in the all. I am never alone. The all is. I am. The all can. I can. The all does. I do. Peace and love. Thanks again for spending your Tuesday with us. Stay safe. Stay out of the hands of slave catchers. Minimize contact and minimize conflict with other black people. Stay safe, and we'll see you again next week, Tuesday. Creator willing. One love. One love. Peace.